everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host for today is uh, is a legend among us, is an icon. Um, she has been in the entertainment industry for decades now, is a brighter light uh, constantly. Every year, the more she does. You might know her from the show she created, uh, Life's Work, in the 1990s. You might know her, of course, of course, as Chessie from The Parrot Trap. Perhaps you know her from Shall We Dance, one of the many iconic Jennifer uh, Lopez romantic comedies. Or heck, maybe you're a fan of Abbott Elementary. Maybe that's what's brought you here today. But in any case, you are here with me and Lisa and Walter. What else do the folks need to know about you before we get started, just so we have the best foundation under us? Are you asking me? That was really good. Um, <laughs> you. you know, you, you you hit on a lot of stuff. I think um, I've been in some awesome projects and you just mentioned several that I absolutely adore and then created some and I created some unscripted shows. I created Dance Your Ass Off, which was a dance weight loss show that aired on <laughs> Oxygen. And uh, that came out of doing the movie Shall We Dance that I, I put on weight for the character and then in order to lose weight, I, I danced three times uh-huh. a week. That's all I did was dance three times a week, three hours a week. And I was in the best shape of my life. And I was like, <laughs> why are all these weight loss shows where people just scream? So I created this great dance show because I, I love to dance. Mm-hmm. So we did this show and it was a huge hit. So, I mean, and I wrote a book. Best thing about my ass is that it's behind me. And I don't <laughs> have to look at it all the time. Um, I love like so. you, best thing about best best thing about my ass is that it's behind me. And then yeah. in Shall We Dance, there is the runner of like you challenging people not to look at your ass throughout the movie. 100%. So I, what a thread throughout your career. Everything I did has the word ass in it. My mother used to say, can you just do one thing without the word ass? <laughs> was that a specific request from her? Yes, it was. Wow, it that's was. impressive. But I'm going to continue to use it because I like it. So. Finally giving up on the underage bimbets are gonna go for a real woman, is that it? Yeah, no more underage bimbets for me. Only real women from now on. I don't don't even think about coming near me without a breath mint. You got that? And quit looking at my ass. We'll try. Now I'm curious, coming from comedy as you do, like you you started doing stand-up, I think, in the 1980s. And now we are in the era of the like the podcast super bloom. Does it feel like some sort of like additional comfort level coming on, riffing, talking through interviews, your actual voice, sort of an element of performance as opposed to like print interviews? How do you feel with the podcast landscape? You didn't have enough time for me to continue to list all of my jobs because I was a radio host on KFI, which is the one of the top ten biggest radio stations in America. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's and it's a, I think the biggest in California. And I was a, a weekend host on Saturday and Sunday because I was raising my kids. I have four kids that I know of. <laughs> I couldn't go on the road. Or I, I couldn't go and do movies out of town because they were teenagers. And, yeah. you know, single mom raising the youngest two myself. Their dad wasn't wasn't actively involved. So you can't just leave kids to their own devices or you get a kid in rehab. Uh-huh. So at least one. So I stayed home and I got a job on the radio so that I could be around the, the area. And I loved it. I, I was raised on talk radio. My mother used to turn on like Dr. Art Uline. Like I remember <laughs> being a little kid listening to like these grown up people talk about historical things. And, you know, she would start talking about whatever they were talking about because she was a teacher. Mm. So I would hear about, 
you know, well, you know, in this, in the War of the Roses, <laughs> two families in England were warring against each other. And I'm just like, what? I'm six, mom. <laughs> and then I had a podcast for a while in, in uh, L.A. with my girlfriend, Rosa Blasi. She was a star of strong medicine. Every once in a while in a project, I'll take somebody with me and they'll become like a really great friend. Like yeah. uh, Willie Goldberg asked me to play a stand up comic going through menopause in in strong medicine. And uh, I was like 36. I was like, look, why are you trying to push the parade past me? And she was like, girl, it'll be good. You you get material. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll do it. And then I met Rosa. And she and I had a, a, a podcast called The Chick Show. And we just had a lot of fun. It was very funny. And, uh, you know, I had a great time doing it. So I, I like the format. Mm-hmm. I think it allows for there to be conversation almost the way talk shows used to be. Yeah. They could trust Jack Parr, Dick Cabot, or whoever these hosts were to be able to talk to anybody mm-hmm. that they were smart enough and knew enough that they would be able to hold a conversation. It didn't have to be funny. It could be serious. Yeah. With Henry Kissinger or John Lennon. They could <laughs> yeah. talk to anybody. So I, I, I feel like this is a little bit, you know, depending on what the format is, this sure. kind of harkens back to a time when we had a little more faith in people that they were able to hold up a conversation. Well, I've been very excited because I've been like, this is somebody who can hold up a conversation. And in the and expanse I, yeah, of this, yeah. in the expanse of this intro, like we've touched on like the various lives that you have lived throughout this one life that you have. Yeah. One of the characters that you brought for talking about today was a character of your own, Bobby in Shall We Dance? And yeah. this is a character who like she is balancing a million lives in order to just like steal moments for her own sort of autonomy and independence so she can dance in this studio where like she's training for competition but you know the character at one point collapses and ha- you know comes to you in a hospital and we hear from her daughter like the litany of things she does in every single day so I wanted to hear you talk about Bobby a bit and why that was something that resonated as like a very personal Lisa Ann Walter character. I, first of all, I love the movie Shall We Dance? So people will ask me what is your, the favorite movie you've done, and probably a lot of them feel the Parent Trap, and and that's a wonderful movie. There, the scene in it where the you know she says, "I am Annie." We shot over three days, seventy-two takes, and uh-huh. was um, and I went to a point in in the prep for that scene every single take where I would do emotional memory of having to leave my daughter when I was going on the road as a stand-up when she was a baby. <laughs> Ali Wong was not the first. I did stand-up until <laughs> two days before I had her. I went back on the road as a nursing mom when she was five weeks old. Wow. So it was um, heartbreaking. And that's what people are seeing when they see that scene mm-hmm. and why it feels real. So I really connect to parts of that movie. But mm-hmm. Shall We Dance was, in terms of the movie as a whole, mm-hmm. that world. I, dance was something I loved to do growing up mm-hmm. and they told me we had one dance teacher in our town and my sister who was always very skinny without even trying and <laughs> me, who was always not skinny without <laughs> even trying went to the dance teacher we were a year and a half apart my sister and I my mother brought us there and it was an old Russian lady and she said she looked at my sister and said this one can dance <laughs> this one too fat okay all right um and uh it was, it broke my heart. First of all, it was humiliating. And I never went to dance class after that. Mm. Even you think they were like, oh, she's heavy, but she wants to dance. That's good for her. I never uh, went to a formal dance class, but I just started dancing uh-huh. and started doing like disco in, and salsa because I had friends mm. that were 
a lot of Latina friends in the neighborhood and they had brothers and we would dance in the basement and I, uh-huh. I salsa. So I learned really good hip action <laughs> for a gringa. And so <laughs> I, I started doing the hustle, which is really salsa mm-hmm. and winning competitions down in DC. And so I grew up loving to dance. When we went to do the movie, I already, from my grandfather, who was my, that side of the family, Sicilian, they all danced. They did mm. tango and the foxtrot and, you know, rumba and cha-cha. And he taught me all those partner dances. And I started to teach at Arthur Murray. Mm. Guys in those days wanted to learn how to, you know, nightclub dance. So they mm-hmm. could pick up women. And I was young and really cute. And, you know, by that time, the baby fat went away. And I was like, yeah, 36, 24, 36. <laughs> and I think I was... 15 when I started teaching there Mm -hmm. you were supposed to go with them to like dance competitions like they like they have in the movie Mm -hmm. my mother my Sicilian mother was like not on your life lady (laughs) you are not going to some Brazil with some old businessman so um I, I I couldn't do that job anymore but by the time I got to do shall we dance I knew enough about partner dancing and ballroom that I anything that they taught me even for the audition I could pick up or fake and I loved it so much that I smiled all the way through the audition process and that's why I got the job as opposed to some of these other actors big 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 name movie stars mm-hmm. that they were looking at because I nailed the dance <laughs> she's selling it she's selling it and it was that I actually loved it mm-hmm. and so the the journey that that character makes for me personally mm-hmm. having always I self-identified as fat Mm. And always my entire life didn't matter how much I weighed. I was trying to lose 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And there were jobs that I had where they were telling me to lose weight. And I had that same figure I was telling you about, you know, that right now is like the the most popular figure. And I was just beating myself because I never felt like I was the right. I was pretty enough or good enough. And I, I wasn't the princess. I had friends that were princesses, but I was never the princess. Mm. And I think what Bobby goes through in that movie, when when Richard Gere looks at her and says, wow, and then dances a beautiful waltz with her, the the feeling that I had was, I'm a princess. <laughs> and if I never have this feeling again, I feel it now. And in shooting it, that's how I felt. Couple 120. Couple 120. Wow. Come on, come on, I'm gonna be late. Hey, you're not gonna choke on me, are you? I think my feet are asleep. I don't remember anything. All right, you're great. You look beautiful. And finally, couple number 126. I feel like that was a, a personal journey for me, and it's the the people really responded to how I played that role. And in fact, the uh, Miramax was the studio. And they put me out for your consideration for uh, an Oscar for best supporting for that role. And then they decided not to push that movie anymore. And they went and got behind, I think, Finding Neverland. But there was like a two, three week period where I was seeing my name in the trades of. Yeah. And I was I was quite I was quite moved. 
what I like the combination of just like that's just such a, a beautiful thing to hear and then in the, the combination of that too with like with that getting to be Bobby's arc but with Bobby also getting to be like one of the earliest scenes the interactions we have with her like she's in the diner with all the guys it's like after practice and you're just like reading Bobby Cannavale for filth and you're like I'm just being honest with you I'm doing you a favor I'm telling you something that's yeah. true you can do the same to me most guys that can't dance at all guys who can they get their pick of the litter that's why when I'm done with this class, babes will drop at my feet. You're gonna be dropping dead at your feet. When you took your shoes off in class today, I had to run to the window for air. <laughs> what kind of person says something like that to somebody they don't even know? Hey, man, I'm doing you a favor. I'm telling you something obnoxious about yourself that you might not be aware of. Now, if there's something obnoxious about me that you don't think I'm aware of, you also feel free to say something about it to me. Shooting fish in a barrel. And see, that was the part where you you nailed it and i skipped that part the part where when you don't feel as accepted and you're watching everybody ooh and on goo goo gaga eyes over the gorgeous uh jennifer lopez and she says my gosh <laughs> but when you're the character that feels like you're not that you're you're the overlooked one you err on the side of making inappropriate jokes or mm-hmm. i'm just telling you the truth or being rough or being rude or being um edgy and and that's your cover because you're busy trying not to be hurt so you mm-hmm. don't let yourself be vulnerable you come off tough mm-hmm. that was the you know sort of the other part for me that was right. also true so i it was a lot of stuff that i related to and i was like oh yeah it the character is not me uh-huh. like i will tell you the scene there's a scene in that movie for audiences that haven't seen it where i have to be awful to omar benson miller who was yeah, it's uh, so was, hard to watch honestly it's it was hard to do it was really hard to do. he is the most lovable man big giant teddy bear of a guy mm-hmm. super sweet and the character is sweet and he's just funny and delightful and i the whole day that i was getting ready to play that, that scene i had to tell everybody don't talk to me because mm-hmm. i was had to be awful to everybody all day long Mm -hmm. It couldn't be nice to me because then I would be nice as Lisa. And I don't often go to that place of character prep for a really important scene like the scene in The Parent Trap. And for this one, because I had to be something so different from myself. Just mean, just mean to this kid. Mm -hmm. And um, and I did. Well, you 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 do it very well in the sense of the range is there. We're yeah. really like because we Bobby's like one of those characters that you love instantly. You're like, oh, I'm on her team. So by the time we get to this point where like you're lashing out against this guy like in this partner, it's like, what oh are, my god! Like they, I feel yeah. I feel betrayed by this person yeah. right now. And I and I remember talking to the director. I talked to Peter Chelsum, and I was like, who spent most of his time going, "Where the chocolates, darling? You need." <laughs> Put on weight, and I'm like I'm dancing eight hours a day. I'm eating fifteen thousand calories, and um, I was like, "Dude, I cannot eat while we're dance training. I'm going to puke on Tucci. Yeah. Like I can't eat the as much food as you think I can eat. I could do it at the end of the day, and then we'd all go to dinner. They would all eat the dancers. Uh-huh. You know, like decent food. There was a there's actually a really good little Italy in Winnipeg, and <laughs> they get done with their meal and they shove. They're, the rest of their dinners at me and I eat <laughs> all their leftovers and then take dessert home and eat that. Wow. And then I'd eat that and I'd be, uh, uh, you would think that sounds like fun. No. 
It was gross. I just thought- yeah. No, when the Rock talks about his diet, I don't think that sounds fun. I think that sounds uh, like a prison. No, it sounds yeah. But doesn't the Rock eat like I'm having egg whites and chicken breast and I'm just and having like thirty cod a day? Yeah. No. See, I was eating good food. <laughs> when they told me when they said they want you to put on as much weight as possible, starting with your dance trading in New York, I said, "Well, what's my per diem?" They said a hundred dollars a day. I said, "Not New York, it ain't." <laughs> I'm not putting on 30 pounds of Big Macs. I'm going to go eat a Chef Baloo's. Like, you're giving me money. And they did. Well, okay. So I, what I what you were talking about with, like, with Bobby's sense of humor, too, and that, like, that sort of defense-based sort of deflection. Right. And you being, like, very skilled in a kind of confrontational sort of humor. You're good at body. You're good at blue. And yeah. is that something that, like, obviously, at least part of that is naturally occurring to you. But would you, like, as far as the nature versus nurture conversation, was you forming that part of that sort of, like, defensive tactic 100%. when you were younger to make it your your thing you scratch any comic mm. professional comic you're gonna get injury or twist some <laughs> twisted them up or hurt them mm. and that's their cover and for me it was being the fat kid if somebody was mm. gonna make fun of me i was gonna do it first mm -hmm. and better absolutely a defense I think this leads perfectly into like additional like an additional character that you brought, which is basically like Melissa McCarthy's whole deal. And yeah. I've read a bunch of you talking about how like, you know, the getting started in stand up in the 80s, the kind of like slog of the 90s for women in comedy. And the like there's I have a, a quote from like a Vulture interview. Where you were like, you know, we just thought at the time that like we would always be getting chased around desks by men. We never thought it would change. And That's then that exactly leads right. into like the bro comedy boom of the 2000s and the sort of Apatovian yeah. sensibility. Well, my God, let me tell you what. Uh, no kidding. I was at a stand up and you're absolutely right. I came from a time when I would go to get paid. Every single comic and club owner was trying to nail you. Like yeah. every single club you went to, they were trying to nail you. That's why there were so many uh, lesbian comics. Mm. Because it was hard to, if you said yes, you were a slut. And if you said no, oh, you're, you know, no fun. And I don't want you to go on tour with me. So it was really hard. And there was no times up. You got to hang. I would go to get paid, like back in somebody's office. And I would have a hand up my dress and one down my shirt. And I'm like, where's the money? You just had money in your hand. Where'd the money go? Yeah. And, and it was it was a crazy time like that. There were not that many of us. So we were always fighting for, you know, spots on shows because they would only ever put one woman on the lineup. They still really only do that. Right, but yeah. at least women can expect hope not to be harassed mm -hmm. when you're just doing your job. But it it was a it was a, a rough time for us and um wow rough I loved what I did of course I I truly loved what I did so it wasn't uh, it wasn't like I thought about changing that's but, a big fucking tax to put on doing your job yeah so I'm, I was remember being at a club and and just before this incident I had written a piece like a think piece mm -hmm. it was probably about six pages long and it it happened to be at a time when you know I had just split up from my 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 twins dad i have four kids two and two you gotta have the same amount for each husband or they get <laughs> um, and and my twins dad was not that great at helping with the kids i was with them all the time and um i wrote a piece called where have all the funny women gone mm -hmm. and it was because when i grew up there were these all these great movies starring Goldie Hawn and Whoopi Goldberg and, Absolutely. and Sally Parton and Lily Tomlin and mm -hmm. all these funny women starring in 
Jane Fonda, great movies. So so we had all that for a time. Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. Bab started doing dramas, and I guess they figured out ah, the gig. We don't have to do these anymore. Barbara's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> out. What happened, honestly, is that they aged out of what the white men who greenlight movies yep. were willing to put them in. Whoopi mm-hmm. won an Oscar for Ghost, mm-hmm. and then they slowly just started, and not that slowly, just stopped doing movies for her. Right. And I was like, those movies were great. They taught little girls like me that you could be funny in life and funny for a living. It wasn't always dude that got the punchline. She was a definitive movie star of the era. The international movie stars. Yes. They were doing bank all over the world and they just stopped doing them. So I was like, this is crazy. You guys are doing movies where you tell me that the funny woman in this movie is a supermodel mm-hmm. because you wrote a joke format for her. Mm-hmm. You wrote it in a joke rhythm. Whatever fabulous screenwriter wrote this, you wrote her a joke rhythm. She's not necessarily funny. <laughs> well, it's it's I mean it's it's a it's an art and a science comedy. You know, okay, look, and I'm not I'm not teeing off on anybody in particular, but Cameron Diaz could be funny in a movie. Mm-hmm. She's not Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's true. So, that's true. So I was at a club. I wrote this thing and I sent it everywhere, including to Judd Apatow's sister. Mm. I had met at a reading of a book that I wrote called, I told you the best thing about my ass is that it's behind me. And I don't have to look at it all the time. And uh, I don't know if she sent it to Judd or not. She might have. Judd, by the way, brilliant writer. My mm-hmm. TV show likes were They sent me his sample and I went, I want him. And mm. Disney said, we already hired someone else. Okay. I was broken hearted. He's a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. But he was busy doing movies as though all those dude bros were. But the woman was the catalyst for a story, getting her vagina, getting married to her, getting out of trouble. And a killjoy, usually. Killjoy, usually the skull. I was saying in those days, the woman was either the sex pot or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you guys. What are you doing? No, or the battle axe. If you're married to her, she's a battle axe bitch. That yes. y'all, you and your bro, dude bros got to get on your motorcycles, get away from her, and now the adventure starts. And every once in a while, you got to check in because you're going to miss your kid's show. Yeah. <laughs> Could not have been more boring. And uh-huh. just over and over and over, we saw these same... I'm like, I see the women you're casting in these roles. It's mm-hmm. like, Leslie Mann is hilarious. Why does she have to be the scoldy wife? And she married she is funny. Better, right? Yes. So I, I he read this, and I am not going to say that I am responsible for bridesmaids, but mm-hmm. I will say that two years later they made bridesmaids. So you do the math. <laughs> that sounds like about the amount of time it takes to get a movie made. Yes, about, yes, exactly. I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of my apartment. I can't pay any of my bills. My car is a piece of shit. Uh, I don't have any friends. Um, the last you know time what I, I find interesting about that, Annie, it's interesting to me that you have, you have absolutely no friends. It's you know why it's interesting? Here's a friend standing directly in front of you, trying to talk to you, and you choose to talk about the fact that you don't have any friends. You know what I no. mean? No, nope. I don't think you want any help. That's I think you want to have a little pity party. Oh. 
Yeah, I think Annie wants a little pity party. Pity. Is that what, what you want? Ow. You're an asshole, Annie. Oh my God, what are you doing? You're an asshole. I'm life, huh? Life bothering you? Oh, yes, that's, I'm life, what are you Annie. Doing? I'm life, Annie. Oh, what no. are you yeah. doing? You fight what are you, Megan? You better learn to fight this life. Oh, yeah. Megan. Life is gonna. I'm life, and I'm gonna bite you in the ass. Ow! Ow! Megan, it's not me. Megan. I'm your life. Turn over. God, I'm trying to get you to fight for your shitty life. So I, I was. Um, very happy that they were doing a movie with not just one female, funny female star, but lots of them. Mm-hmm. And that I started to see them again. And um, I, just before that came out, I was at a comedy club and Wedding Crashers had come out. Mm-hmm. And I heard a guy say, I'm just so happy that they're doing a movie about guys being friends. You just never Ooh. see it. And I went, <laughs> and he was a big time agent too. I, I had, agents and managers i didn't need him but he was a big time guy and i went are you nuts Do you <laughs> realize that that's all we ever see and you're a white dude and you're talking about a movie with white dudes all we ever see are white dudes bonding that's every movie that's ever been made basically <laughs> so i was just like you need you need to do a little more research my friend yeah and then so now they're starting to do it again but honest to god when i saw there were two kind of seminal moments for me at around the same time. Mm. One was the movie Brave, mm. where I sobbed all the way through it because there had never been a movie about a little girl hero, an animated movie, where she wasn't a princess. Sure, 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 sure. Right? So I was like, you don't know what it's like to be like, oh, this is for girls to be centered mm-hmm. in this. And then the other one was The Heat where I swear to you, I was in a full movie theater and it was a lot of women, but it was a lot of guys. Yeah. And the entire theater was in hysterics the entire way through. You know how laughter feeds when you're in a theater. I saw that one in the theater. We were I mean, we were losing our minds. It was an it incredible was, experience. At that point, I was like, I don't think since the early days of Mel Brooks movies, I had ever laughed that hard wow. at a movie. It was just brilliant beginning to end. And Paul Feig is the nicest man on God's green earth. So, yeah. like, I'm so yeah. glad that, that both of those things get to be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's time for a short break. And when we come back, Lisa will tell us more about some of the other movie characters and actors that make her feel seen and inspired. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about something entirely unrelated. But, guys, we got to touch on Fast X. It's coming out. Jason Momoa is coming out and we we've we've got to talk about it at the end of the show so please stick around Trans representation in media is at an all-time high, with trans entertainers gracing the screens, large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist, and better half of the Max Fun podcast, Fanta, Travel Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Shar Jassel. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film, now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune in to We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy Audio. Video games can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can even make you sing. We're the hosts of Triple Click. 
It's a podcast about video games. This is an exciting time for new games from Diablo to Final Fantasy. From Starfield to Street Fighter. From Zelda to, oh, who are we kidding? We're just going to talk about <laughs> Zelda. Whether you play games or you just like hearing about them, we've got you covered. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Feeling scene. My guest, Lisa Ann Walter, currently stars on Abbott Elementary as Melissa Scamenti, a hard-nosed but soft-hearted second and third grade teacher uh, in that hit ABC program. That is just the latest role, though, in Lisa's decades-long career in Hollywood and in comedy. So let's get back into our conversation. You know what? I'm wondering, you know, because we, we've talked about We've talked about, like, the formation of sort of comedy as protection when you talked about, like, you know, I was I was a fat girl growing. And that was, like, how I was, you know, there was absolutely nothing wrong with being fat. There's everything wrong with being fat and compartmentalized to a specific way of being seen in the world because people are so closed-minded. But, like, right. now coming to this point where, like, obviously your character on Abbott, like, you can see Bobby in your Abbott character, like in in Mrs. Shimenti. Like you can see and there's that that toughness that carries through your career in a place where you have you got you've gone on through a journey like Shall We Dance. You had um you've always had an assertive persona in the comedy and the art that you do. And now coming right. to Abbott where you've talked about the sort of power of that ensemble of having such an array of female characters forward who represent different kinds of strength. It's not just one monolithic kind of woman on the show. Absolutely where right. does the defense mechanism from the comedy melt away into a kind of reclamation of power in a space where you might feel more safe to just be yourself as opposed to deflecting from, from danger or yeah. from compartmentalization? That's a great question i a couple of things go on with part of it is is what the writers you know have decided the voices or the tone is for that episode where yeah. we are in the telling of that particular story and how we mm -hmm. feel but there's always room and they the writers see it and quinton knows it as do our executive producers justin halpern and patrick schumacher and randall einhorn who directs many of our episodes that there's great beauty and we are a cast of alpha women mm -hmm. all of us are it's I mean, amazing <laughs> Quinta is in life, not so much in the character, although she takes her moments. Mm -hmm. But the other characters on that show are all alpha. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly unusual. It's unusual enough to have four women or three women over 40, mm -hmm. two over 50. And you don't see that a lot. You see mm -hmm. one crazy old coot. <laughs> yeah. Who's, you know, the Betty White of that project, you know, mm -hmm. oh, look at her. She's talking about sex. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but to have two best friends, uh, lifelong friends like Melissa and Barbara Howard, that's um, that's revolutionary kind mm -hmm. of in a way. Just doesn't, unless you're the Golden Girls, like it just doesn't always happen. Right. And, and yet that's life. I think it's why people respond to it is that it's life and that we can show each other because these are characters that understand that it's just going to be a certain way at this mm -hmm. school. But we can let the guard down with each other. One of my favorite scenes that I played recently with Barbara Howard is when she is the the fire uh, episode. Mm -hmm. And she starts a fire because she wasn't thinking. She went to go to her uncle and you find out that her husband had a, a scare of prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And she lets the guard down to me and Melissa's is is 
just wraps her in a hug. Mm-hmm. And and you see Melissa oftentimes to the camera, let down a guard. And one of my favorites is a moment with a paper plate bunny. Mm-hmm. And partly it's me as a producer knowing that the scene where she is so angry, Melissa is so angry with this art teacher who ripped mm-hmm. apart her Peter Rabbit books that she's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that this means something to Melissa, that mm-hmm. this was the first thing that she did as a young teacher. By the way, a young white teacher in an all-black school where she was hoping to be liked yeah, and, and accepted. And that it meant so much to her that she kept this original plate mm-hmm. the first time she did it. And that is a, it's a beautiful, vulnerable moment that ends with a hard joke. That right, yeah. Very Melissa joke. You know, every year both our classes read Peter Rabbit. And yeah. then with the art teacher, the kids make their own versions of Peter with paper plates. Oh, yeah, I've been doing this project for 15 years. It's the first thing I did that the kids really loved. Um, this one's from my first year. It, it's styrofoam. I get they're bad for the environment, but you try floating pigs in a blanket across a hot tub on a paper plate. But... The writers and all of our team, and Quint in particular, love that my wheelhouse <laughs> is, as uh, uh, Dolly Parton used to say, laughter to tears. You know, <laughs> or the other way around, or the other way around, that they love that I can play both things oftentimes in a, in a very quick scene. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's powerful. It's powerful to show yourself, you know, to have that camera. And it's not always all the time in the words. Sometimes mm-hmm. the words are saying something completely different than the vulnerability that you're showing. Mm-hmm. But that's acting. Well, I'm, I'm wondering that what is sort of your relationship with, as somebody who is a starter and who is like, I don't fucking wait for the permission. I don't wait for the access or, or for the for, for right. time to change. Right. Is then, what is your relationship to sort of the hopefulness of change for better as somebody who kind of has to proof themselves against kind of being let down in that way and just sort of charging forward regardless, like making something like Abbott, does that like allow you to hope for a broader palette of what would be marketable for you to do? Yes, it absolutely does. It gives me a a nice cushy little platform just monetarily, but more than that, the confidence. It is a wonderful industry that we are in where if you don't need it, they desperately want you. It's dating. (laughs) If you just don't care, they are all over you. But the minute you start to care, they smell it. God. Um, but that's what it's like. And and honestly, if boy, if I could market it, if I could bottle that shit. <laughs> but you know, it's just they know, they smell it. They they know when you don't need them, and then they come around like, well, what about this opportunity? And I think it's sick. Honestly, I, but you know what? I will tell you this. That, that optimism that we have to have, mm-hmm. and it goes against every fiber of my being as a system. <laughs> I have to get up every morning before this job and believe that this is the day I'm gonna nail this this audition. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, they're gonna pick me, I'm gonna do it. And against all odds, I'm gonna be the one that they choose. And almost always the answer is no. But you know mm-hmm. what, you don't know. I had a great line in last week's episode to, uh, to Tyler James Williams' character, to Gregory, when he gets uh, educator of the year and he doesn't feel like he earned it. And I went, you can't choose when they're going to honor you, when they mm-hmm. acknowledge you. And that actually, I think they wrote that in a script right after a bunch of nominations happened for award season and I didn't get them. 
And they and they were also lovely. And Quinta called me, and the, the producers would call me. You to have you are so valued. We are so in love with you, and you're so talented. And then I was like, yeah, I want a nomination. <laughs> but, uh, but to give me the line to say to someone else was just Chef's kiss. That's such a. It's nice to be known. Yeah. It's nice to be known by the people you want to know you. I feel like I'm the last person who should get this. Yeah, you're definitely not the best teacher in Philadelphia. Or, you know, the school. Or your grade. Or even this classroom. Is there a point? Like, where are we going? Gregory, you don't deserve to be educator of the year. Still waiting for that point. But I've seen you stick it out and improve week after week. You work really hard to get better. And you care. So maybe someday you'll grow into deserving this award. But you know what? They're not going to give it to you then. Because you can't choose when people acknowledge you. This is your moment. So just, hey, think of it like you accept the award early. Okay. But just to be, you know, acknowledged sometimes can be meaningful. But truthfully, we are such a uh, a talented cast of people. We are, oh. we are, we work so well together. That's why I loved getting the SAG award because have, acknowledging us as an ensemble is, is true, is correct. I mean, we are. My favorite scenes to play are the ones where we're pinging off each other and just doing fast lines all in a, in a circle. And, you know, it ends and we're all like, we, we can do it faster and faster and faster until it's like perfect. <laughs> Yeah. As we come toward the end, something that I was excited to bring up with you is I was I was reading an interview of yours where you were talking about Shall We Dance? And I was like, wow, I didn't expect to have had a same life experience as Lisa Ann Walter. But you talked about like being on set with Jennifer Lopez and you were like, it's like she like has a light that comes from inside yeah. of her that yeah. causes her to glow. And the one time I went to the Indie Spirit Awards was the year she was nominated and should have won for Hustlers. And I remember walking around the room at one of the commercial breaks and she was like in the middle table of the center. Nobody was getting to Jennifer Lopez. She was not walking around with everyone else. But I remember looking at her and there was no spotlight above her, but she had a spotlight emanating from her. So when I read you say that, I was like, I've seen that glow in a dim room. It's so real. Crazy. And I will tell you what, honest to God truth, she is, she was not in makeup when I noticed it on the uh-huh. in dance. And and we actually had rehearsals for Shall We Dance, which is unusual because our director came from theater originally and he really That's definitely cool. did. But I looked across this, the soundstage where we were in the dance studio set and she was spotlit. And 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 we were we were somewhere else that that was our our actual our practice studio which had no lighting it was just a practice dance studio ballroom studio and she was spotlit and I was like what is she wearing no she was dance practice so she had no makeup on she just glowed and I walked up to her and I went you just glow and she goes that's the name of my perfume. <laughs> You're so right, Jennifer. You're so I know. Right. I, and then I go, and then I swear she, and it was a, it was like the, the day after I walked by and I was like, you smell delicious. <laughs> what do you wear? I said, don't take this the wrong way, but you smell really delicious. Like, I want to lick you. You <laughs> smell really good. And she was like, I go, what are you wearing? She goes, me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you mean your perfume? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you're musk? Like, what do you mean? Your personal scent, beautiful. <laughs> you're, you're perfect. Um, but she, the next day in my trailer was every single product that she made of her, of Glow. Lovely. That was, that's a strong move. That's strong. <laughs> that's a power move. That is. 
Well, I guess my my getting my my last question will be like I didn't want to leave the character on the table like the 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 another one that you had mentioned because I feel like this is a real origin point kind of situation. But you mentioned Addie Tatum O'Neill's character Addie from Paper Moon, who we have also discussed on this show, and I wanted to know right. when that when you first experienced that character and like I'm presuming as a as a young person like Very what kind of an girl. impact seeing a performance like that had on you and seeing what like somebody could be on screen. So the movie came out and I was I was younger than her, but you know, pretty close. Yeah. And my my parents were divorced. I didn't see my dad a lot. Mm. Um, he was busy doing the divorced dad, you know, every other weekend thing. Yep. Unless he was in Europe working and then I didn't see him ever. And uh, we went to the movies quite a bit. Some A lot of times on our own. I saw a lot of movies inappropriately young. Like I remember <laughs> double Same. feature of The Godfather and Ladies Things of Blues and I was like eight. <laughs> I'm like, that should not have happened. Cinephile. Yeah, exactly. Well, my mother raised us on movies, old movies in particular. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved, I was raised on Witness for the Prosecution and The Thin Man and the the, uh, uh, screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s. I just, I I loved old movies. Um, We went to the drive-in and it was the double feature. And I think that the second movie was Blazing Saddles. Oh, wow. First movie was Paper Moon. <laughs> and I, well, I fell in love with Madeline Kahn twice. Oh, a ma- the secret Madeline Kahn double feature. Oh, that's amazing. And I have to tell you that another, that another drive-in was What's Up Doc. And I, speaking of movies with funny women, mm. I had never seen her. It was her. It was introducing Madeline Kahn. Wow. Yeah, Peter Bogdanovich found her and then Mel Brooks took her. And I, I'll tell you my little Mel Brooks story real quick. I met him, a friend of mine, Sharon Lawrence, was doing a play and he went to see it and he met me afterwards and he and we talked for a little while and then he said, you remind me of Madeline. I about, I about <gasps> found out. Oh my, I remember when I found Madeline Kahn in my life and it was, it was Blazing Saddles. My dad showing me Blazing Saddles. And I yeah. remember literally that and Clue. And I remember like yeah. finding it and just being so like enraptured by, and then, then learning that she had passed away, like, like quite young and being like, yeah. what do you, there's not, there's not new, new Madeline Kahn. Like I don't get to watch new Madeline Kahn. Criminal. I was she so was upset. brilliant as Trixie in Paper Moon, but, um, and the movie, I just, it blew me away. The fact that it was a little girl's relationship with her father that she didn't know, that she was clearly desperate to have, mm-hmm. and that she was a badass. Mm-hmm. She was a badass. They did not write little girls like that. Oh, and God, I was no. busy in my with my group of friends. My, my sister and I were a year and a half apart. Our next door neighbors were two girls that were a year and a half apart. Same age as my older sister and me, right? And the four of us, we're like, we had a newsletter. We were like, we would go and campaign at the polls. We were <laughs> would march in Washington for the ERA. Still haven't passed. Um, we were we were so engaged, and you know, we'd put on shows. We would have muscular dystrophy carnivals in the backyard. We were like nine. Whoa, doing, but we were so active and ballsy and 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 capable and powerful little girls and i never remember seeing girls like that in movies uh-huh. she was she was tough and she had plans and <laughs> you know she she broke up 
right her father and Trixie and because she didn't she didn't want to be replaced and you know scammed and was a grifter and mm-hmm. I thought it was she was sensational and I I I recognized myself in that badass little girl and I just and I just remember loving it so much and laughing and and then crying. Yep. Whole nother business giving it away. It's bad enough you give away Bibles. But they're poorly. The whole country's poorly, I told you before. But Frankie Roosevelt said we gotta look out for him. I don't care about Frankie Roosevelt. But he says it. That's so? Why don't you ask Frankie Roosevelt what he thinks about taking care of himself? You think he don't eat off silver trays? He can eat off tabletops like the rest of us, but he don't. You know why? Because that would make him look common. And besides, Frankie Roosevelt ain't running this thing. I'm running it. So don't you make up no rules about what we're going to give away. It's my money too, you know. Two hundred dollars belongs to me, and don't you forget that. You want it? I got to tell her that I met her when she was doing Dancing with the Stars, and I got to tell her that. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, it really is. It's great when you can. No, it's not always good to meet your heroes because sometimes it doesn't work out. But yeah, when it when it's good, it's great. Well, I guess then, as we close, my my last thing would be like. Do you feel like like with with sort of Addie is like a a model for a young you? And then like I remember I've read you talk about how like you know what was possible for you in the '90s was possible because of Roseanne. Like and and that woman kind of like in that figure blazing that that path in television and comedy as she was. Do you feel like the path that you are on? Do you feel like you are surrounded by sort of peers who get to march forward together as themselves and make the art they want to make, or do you kind of still feel like you're? do you feel like an island a bit sometimes just like I'm writing all this on my own because there's nobody to do it but me but or do you feel like there's because ageism is fucking real like do ageism, you feel like you are able to lock arms with your yeah, contemporaries is sexism that's 100% factual um, yeah. it's like we want to see you but not if we don't want to bone you mm-hmm. well, you know or you know we'll have one of you in this project or whatever and we don't really trust you to make this stuff but I will say being on a show like Abbott where a young black woman, her voice, the world she created was actually, the, the network and studio listened to her mm. and they they did her vision, mm. trusted her with the vision. That's very hopeful. Mm. To see Cheryl win awards that she is, that are long overdue in, in a business that literally told her there's not a place for you. Mm. And now there's a place for her. That's encouraging. I know that, you know, Janelle's working on myriad projects. Mm. All of that is encouraging. And and that they're that they're actually featuring true diversity. Mm-hmm. For a long time it was straight cis white women. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's what we're interested in telling. Those those are stories we're interested in telling. And that's mm-hmm. kind of it. You know, I yeah. mean, I think that I think to expand that is 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 hopeful for everybody mm-hmm. that it's just going to. Well, hopefully, I mean, who knows? I didn't <laughs> know the stuff that's happened in the last couple of weeks. It happened, but it's happening. So yeah. like say I, you know, if I'd known we were going in this direction and we we're going towards the Handmaid's Tale and I was going to be wearing the big red cape, I wouldn't have cut out carbs. <laughs> Well, Lisa Ann Walter, here's cheers and carbs to you. Thank you, and, and wishing you so many both complex and simple carbohydrates and thanking you for coming on and sharing this hour with me. I so appreciate it. You're so welcome. It was truly a joy. I love talking movies and the business with someone who knows what they're talking about. So it was a pleasure for me. 
Well, thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. Bye, everybody. Thank you again to Lisa Ann Walter, an icon, and an icon specifically to millennials. Uh, I got to talk to her right before she was headed out to watch what happens live, and she was looking very fierce on our Zoom. It was absolutely a sleigh. Uh, that was that was just a fun little treat to be able to see on my end of the conversation, you guys. Um, and Abbott Elementary airs on ABC and streams on Hulu. We are hoping to hear next month that Lisa will join several of her castmates as an Emmy nominee for her role on that show. Do the right thing, voters. We have a great track record on Feeling Seen. We have a very successful pedigree of friends of the show. So get this one right as well. Uh, and now that one quick thing before I go. Fast X is coming out, you guys. This is the 10th movie. This is the 10th movie in the Fast franchise. And guess what? It's it, I mean, I don't, I don't think we thought it was the end, but guess what? This isn't the end. This movie, I'm not going to tell you anything about how it ends, of course, but this movie ends setting you up, throwing you right into another fast movie. This is full cliffhanger. I'm not going to tell you anything specific, but this movie begins like every other fast movie ends, which is everybody gathered around talking about the, you know, the ways they've grown and the things they've learned and processing life. That's how it begins. The movie is eulogizing the franchise the entire time. And also, like, it feels like it's kind of built for, like, someone said at one point, like, no, we need to get audiences who have never seen a Fast movie. So let's make sure we periodically explain to them what has happened in the previous nine. So they don't feel like they need to overcome nine movies to get what's going on here. There is, so if you forgot key points of what happened in prior Fast movies, uh, don't worry. This movie is going to kind of guide you through the entire the entire Westerosian map of what has gone on in the past 20 years. Um, there are cameos. There are cameos on cameos. There are, there are old friends. There are new friends. Uh, there is this franchise still insisting that Natalie Emanuel's character Ramsey is a straight woman or something when she should have had a girlfriend like four movies ago. But what I am most delighted to report is this, this is absolutely the gayest fast movie to date because, well, Brie Larson's serving something that if you know, you know, but because Jason Momoa, I described him in my, my immediate reaction to walking out of this movie as a pansexual chaos god. And the amount of just like queer alpha male sadistic masculinity masculine I'm like getting tongue-tied thinking about this performance like I don't know how this performance happened like this is is it camp I don't know I don't know it as you know camp isn't real but if it was camp could be this performance by Jason Momoa in Fast X I I hope it looks like either there were no restraints put on him or that like everybody involved was like no more Jason no we want more Jason like the way he literally prances around through this movie the extravagance of this performance the indulgence of this performance it's like him wearing like a, a costume of his own clothing like the way you see Jason Momoa dress on a red carpet is how Jason Momoa dresses in this movie but like more 
if he was like a vampire in a, a Baroque vampire in a corridor. Like, it is so extra. Everything about his performance. This movie fully took me hostage because I, the first 15, 20 minutes, I was like, is this the worst movie? I am having a good time, but I'm just a little shocked. But then like when he is in full tilt, I was like, no, this isn't the worst movie. This is Jason Momoa's movie. And Everything is going to revolve around him from here on out. He is the star. He is the show. And once I got on his level, I was like, oh, 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 oh. I am so in. This felt so much. This felt like a fast movie, obviously. But it also, because of this core, this is a villain performance on par with a Joel Schumacher Batman movie. This is Jason Momoa's Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. This is Jason Momoa's Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent, Two-Face. Like, that is what is going on in this. And because it's a fast movie, it's always 2002 somewhere. So, like, we get, like, obligatory, like, car racing meetup scenes where it's like, yep, everything has looked the same in this universe for the past 20 years. And there's such a comfort about that. Um, But, yeah, the number of times, like, don't take a shot every time someone says family in this movie because you will be hauled out on a stretcher. Your stomach will be pumped. Um, this is, this is a fast movie. I feel like what, however many movies we get in this fast ending, somebody told me, I have not confirmed this, that it's like a concluding trilogy. Three part conclusion, maybe if they can get the money and the permission. Um, so we could be in for two more after this. God, I hope so. And if that happens, it better be because Jason Momoa is coming back for all three, like in the way that The Rock came in as Hobbs in Fast Five and sort of juiced up the franchise um, with a a different kind of star power and a different kind of gargantuan outsized personality. That is what Jason Momoa is doing in this. But like queer, modern, masculinity, sexy, scary killer guy. And there's also just, there are some surreal fucked up things that happen in this movie where you're like, oh my God, like, is this right at R? Like there are, I can't, like, I'm trying to give you nothing and and confuse you because I was confused and I was so happy. And then I will also say, in the very last shot of the movie, I literally yelled, literally yelled, that is not an exaggeration, what the fuck, at the screen? <laughs> because by then, I was so tapped on, like, all the things that had thrown at me, I wasn't ready for that last choice. <laughs> But I'm so happy about it. I'm so, so happy about it. Uh, So Fast X, go see it with friends. If anybody, if anybody you know likes a fast movie, go go see this. Uh, It's batshit. And it is so unselfconsciously cartoonish. And it it has all the biggest men in Hollywood in it. It's got John Cena. It's got Alan Richson. It's got Jason Momoa. It's got Ben Diesel. The only one we're lacking is The Rock, but he's been here already. So like he's he's been a part of the franchise. But like, and you guys, when John Cena's in this, it's a kid's movie. We're just fully in a side movie that's a children's movie. It's just Spy Kids. Um, So yeah, that's what's coming uh, on this moonfall-sized wave that is headed toward you in Fast X. Uh, So yeah, that like that's my rambling because I'm just still so uh, I'm just still almost giddy about it. But yes, that is that is in fact our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or send us an email at Feeling Scene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. 
Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.